And now that folks are here, welcome everybody. Uh, this is the Yoga for Your Intellect Club on Clubhouse. You can uh, see up at the top, you can click and, and join the club. It is all about the philosophical approach to life and really um, comes from the source of nearly all Eastern philosophy, um, Vedanta, which comes from the Vedic scriptures and, and uh, the Upanishads within the Vedic scriptures. And it is uh, the topic today is your real self. Oh, and I'll also say you can click on the link within the club, yfyi.co, and you can see all of our podcast episodes, as well as uh, you can also check out the replays here on Clubhouse, or if you're checking this out on your podcast player, then you can see we uh, are also adding our Clubhouse conversations to uh, to the podcast apps, so you can follow us there. Also have YouTubes, where we just dropped three episodes from the Ashram in India, and not only were the visuals just so cool, uh, most of this is you know quite audio based. So you don't need to check out the YouTube videos, but the YouTube videos from the Ashram were the visuals were uh, epic, just be- amazing, beautiful. But also, I will say the the content, the the flow of thoughts in those conversations, certainly something special going on in the air there in Malavli, India, uh, where Joseph and I got to get into topics we never never chatted about, and the thought flow. I'd say, uh, especially from part one to part two to part three, had this amazing um, arc to it. Uh, if you, if anyone ever wanted a kind of a one, two, three on on Vedanta, but uh, today's conversation is on your real self, and this is certainly at the heart of Vedanta. It's a, at the heart of of uh, Swami's talk um, of Guru Purnima, and that is what the philosophy of Vedanta seems to uh, to be anchored on is, is your real self. And I wanted to kick this off, Joseph, with if you could, before we dive into what those three words mean, could you start with just what does real mean? And mm. this could seem elementary, but it's quite important to touch on the, the definition of these words before diving into the topic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Elementary, but I mean, honestly, if you get that word, you're done. So I think that was Swami's talk uh, was all about that. It was like, you know, we don't we don't really need to like hear more information or 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 hear more lectures or follow more any of it. What we need to do is is really analyze what's real in me. What's the what? What is the self? What what am I? Start paying attention to that. <clears throat> that was the like pay direct attention to it, and I choose those words um, carefully. Um, pay direct attention to your true self, and that is that is what the reality is. Is that aspect of us? Reality is that which was, is, and will be. So there's only one part of us that always was, always is. And always will be. You know, every human being is a combination of spirit and matter. Uh, we have the consciousness, which is there. It's ever-present. It, it is it is non-individualistic. It's universal. It's like the electricity that is under all bulbs. It's like the ocean that supports all waves. 
that is changeless, that is eternal, that is, that is nitya, that is always there. Um, the body, mind, intellect combination that we all are, those are different and changing constantly. Those are not real. According to Vedanta, those are the aspect of us that are not, do not pass that test of reality. The test of reality is what is something that always was, always is, and always will be. In fact, uh, Shankaracharya, the great, um, the great eighth-century uh, Vedanta master, who uh, is the father of so many of the important texts in the tradition, he defined Vedanta in four words: nitya, anitya, viveka, vichara. So nitya means real, lasting, permanent. Anitya means unreal, un not lasting, impermanent. Uh, viveka is discrimination and vichara is inquiry. So in a, in a sense, Vedanta is nothing but those four words. It is the inquiry into and the discrimination between the real and the unreal. Do you and mind saying those words, those words one more time, just I'm writing them down. Yeah, notes. No worries. Yeah, it's uh, nitya mm -hmm. and then anitya. A before any word in Sanskrit means no or non. Nitya, mm -hmm. Anitya, Viveka, Vichara. So that's real, unreal, discrimination, inquire. Mm -hmm. So the act, the practice of every day uh, sitting with yourself and inquiring into and uh, doing Vichara within yourself, inquiring into yourself and discriminating within yourself about what is real and what is unreal. That's Vedanta. And everything else is academic, you know, and I think that's the that was the thrust of the message um, that came and through in the Guru Purnima talk that Swami gave was get on to that. And he said, we're doing everything except that in this life. Everything except finding out what about me is real and lasting. We're constantly dealing with the external side of our experiences, trying to make the world a little better, getting things a little bit better arranged or externally or physically or even you know emotionally and intellectually. We're, we're caught in the material layers or in the external world itself. We're not paying attention to what is that reality within us. And this is Vedanta. It's, and it's such an interesting foundational reorientation of of the word real and that it's not i think we conventionally think of what is real in terms of what is perceived or uh, i think hegel described it as what is perceived uh objectively so perceived by others because you obviously can't mm. uh get the you can't get all eight billion people to vote on a perception, but you could get a three or four and say, okay, this, we all perceive this. So it, so, uh, that would pass the definition of, of real, but anyone you ask of, okay, well, you perceived a dream last night. And yet from the waking state, you wouldn't say that dream was real. Or if anyone wants to see just how strong hypnotization can work, uh, Google, uh, hypnosis burn on, on YouTube, and you could hypnotize someone into them thinking your finger is a hot rod, a hot metal rod, and if you touch them, it can actually result in a blister, a burn. And and yet the 
obviously, uh, you wouldn't say a hypnosis is uh, real, even though it's perceived. It's not, you know, a hot iron rod. So I think that that, that redefinition, or that not even re- the definition of it, real being that which what was, is, and will, will always be. Um, and an example that I always think about is the dream as a perfect counter uh, that also falls in our conventional definition. It's not real is, is helpful. And obviously a, a good, uh, a needed foundation for this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's crucial. And like I said, if you, if you get the, <laughs> if you, if you, if you get the concept of reality, truly, you really don't need any other concepts, but anyway, it's good to have other ones to help uh, kind of, uh, uh, triangulate what that reality is. The um, it when you're saying that with the the talk from Swami of you transcribing it and and now you've sent it to me three times so and and yeah. each one with slightly different different or new aspects to it. So this is something where and I have come to appreciate this so much more, especially in recent months, but. It is the the concept within within the philosophy that you talk a lot about of of there's listening and then there's reflection. Uh, so if if someone just found this definition interesting, uh, or just found I don't know the first five minutes of the clubhouse um, interesting, it is. I know that from my wiring, it is so. I am so tempted to be like, wow, that was really fascinating. Now I'm going to consume more, and exactly right. to what uh, Swami's saying, it's it is not in more. It's actually in. Can you grok? Can you truly just understand uh, a very simple, like even those four words from uh, Shankaracharya? That's oh yeah. So yeah, that's that. I it just it made me want to make the call out of. Um, every one of us and, and myself, I, I really talk about myself. I want the next podcast. I want the next great book or the next chapter in a great book that I'm, that I'm getting a lot of value out of. And it's so rare yeah. that, that we actually say, you know what, that, that, that one point or the first 15 minutes of the podcast, I'm going to listen to it again and again and again, reflect yeah. on it, try to actually write it out of what, what was being said. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I'm actually kind of shaking my head in disappointment of how rarely I actually reflect on the profound thoughts that you know blew my mind at eight a.m. and then I don't think about for uh, the rest of the day, much less a week or two later. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a good point to dwell on the um, <clears throat> the the e-learning course which you're doing, which we talk about all the time is is you know um 400 something lectures on 12 books that um that constitute the three-year program at the vedanta academy and it's you know swami is constantly saying now he's like after you finish it sign up and do it again and and that's Mm -hmm. that's the thing i mean some of us have have heard him teach the gita you know half a dozen times and um it's really it's really about depth it's it's depth of study um, that brings about the transformation, um, not not breadth of study, 
And so, like I, I mentioned earlier, and I wasn't kidding, like that, this talk that he just gave will go in one a particular folder on my computer of um, talks that I will listen to at least once or twice a year. And and I think the first one that started for me was uh, 1999. Swamiji used to have these um, talks at the ashram um, on the foundation day of the ashram. It was like an annual, basically an excuse to get, um, to invite people out to the ashram from, from nearby towns, Bombay and Pune. They would come out and he would give a talk and there'd be a couple hundred people and we'd have a nice meal and it was great. But 1999, he gave this talk that was just so ridiculous. I think I've sent it to you before. It was called The Wheel. And um, yeah, so I have a separate folder. And that, and that was the first time where I was like, I pledge to myself to read this talk at least every year, if not a couple times a year. And now I just benefit of the doubt. Like if I think of it, I'll like sit down that day in, in the afternoon or whatever with my tea and at least just read through it because it's like, it's so foundational to to um, you know understanding the, the 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 simple truth underlying this whole practice that we're doing, and that talk that he did recently, the Guru Purnima talk, is definitely going to be one of them because it was so it was so just epic, and um, and yeah, the e-learning is like the same thing. He just tells people keep doing it over and over again. It's not about um, it's not about like the latest idea or the newest idea. It's about constantly touching these classical intellectual poses, um, AKA yoga for your intellect, you know, doing these poses again and again. And as we grow and change and have more experiences in life, they, they, these things take on different meaning. They take on different depth, different pieces of them shine that didn't shine before. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I've even daydreamed in life about like just, you know, spending like a whole lifetime just with like one verse from one of the Upanishads. <laughs> I mean, like, because there's so much meat on the bone in a, in the most vegan way I can say that. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, then, the, yeah, the, the, um, okay, I don't want to divert too much because it's, I want to get to the, the second or the third word in, in here, but the third operative word of self. But, but yes, to the to that point, and I think we mentioned in maybe the third episode of the ashram, uh, which I think went live two days ago, three days ago, and yeah. it is. Uh, and one of the things that you said in there was, if you can get just one one word from the Gita, from the Bhagavad Gita, can you understand? It? Can you really, really master one word? And the word that I always think about is. Uh, sameness mm. and sameness for whatever onslaught of events might happen in the course of a day to sameness with anyone that you interact with where there is no favor towards this person that can do something for you this person that you don't think can do anything for you and and obviously uh every one of us falls i know that i fall so short of that but but yeah, it's talk about reflection. If if you could, if I could just, if anyone could master just that one word uh, from the Gita, much less you know the seven hundred verses. It's uh, that's the power of reflection. I think was it Shankara that said reflection is a hundred thousand times more powerful than listening. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. 
<laughs> yes, I, I can't remember where I, I got that, which, which uh, text I got that from, but uh, just to put it in perspective, how, how much uh, more powerful reflection can be than listening. So, so this is going to be a talk that I listen to again. Uh, but with the third word, self, could you, so you defined real as that which was, is, and will always be. That's what uh, is real. And then what is self before we dive into how these three words come together, your real self? Yeah, well, self is is referring to the, the real identity, the your true original nature. The whole Vedanta is actually only talking about this word, self. What is your and my and anyone's identity truly? What is the what is it that the eye is is pointing to? Um, and uh, of course, uh, it is it is the universal conscious and living principle that is at the core of the material personality. So, as mentioned earlier, we are all combinations of spirit and matter. It, or if you don't like the word spirit, which honestly I can relate to that uh, distaste for that word sometimes because of the way it's used. Um, you can say the 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 uh, the consciousness within us, the 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 elan vital, you know the 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 aspect of us that quickens our personality. That self, that consciousness, is is what the entire Vedanta is about: is to discover your true nature, to liberate you from the inevitable changes and sufferings that happen. Um, to the body, to the mind, to the intellect. So we say, this is my body. People ask, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good, but I have a stomach ache. Okay. Uh, my, or my toe is hurting, you know, whatever. Or you say, how are you doing? And someone says, I'm okay. My, my heart's a little sad or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Or you say, uh, I'm feeling a little dull. I'm my my brain's not working too good today. This kind of things we say. So there is a first person. Uh, we say mine. We say we have a possessive pronoun when we talk about my body, my emotions, my ideas. So who is the possessor that's being indicated by that possessive pronoun? This is the question. Who is the I that the that these this this possessive pronoun refers to or that it 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 suggests right because we you would never if if you ever stop someone on the street and say are you only your body no one will agree to that <laughs> it's fascinating even the most like non-philosophical person will never allow themselves to be just this body you know if you ask somebody are you this are you only your feelings and attachments and emotions of the mind they won't agree to that are you only your ideas? No, no, no. I'm something bigger than that. I'm something more than that. I'm something more lasting than that. Everybody's got that sense of themselves as bigger and more permanent, <clears throat> excuse me, more permanent and more lasting than the corporeal. Entire Vedanta is pointing up, first of all, to that investigation of what that is. While at the same time, throughout, recognizing that that can never be understood by the intellect because 
by the very reason that it is the definite, it is the, the source of the intellect. It is that which is giving life to the intellect. The, the body cannot perceive by itself. The, the emotions cannot emote by themselves. He, went, he said this a lot in the lecture recently also in the Guru Poema lecture. Your ideas do not ideate, ideate by themselves. They need something to uh, enliven in in them. But it's like you can't see that with the equipments that, uh, that are enlivened by it. It's like trying to um, see a battery in a flashlight or a torch for my Indian friends. Uh, it's, it's like trying to see a, a f the battery of a flashlight with the flashlight. So if you quickly try to take the battery out and hold it in front of the light, you're going to have a problem. You know, It doesn't mm -hmm. work. Uh, the Hubble Space Telescope can see the whole universe, but can't see itself, right? Mm -hmm. the, or the, I guess the latest is the James Webb Telescope can see to the beginning of time, but it can't, it can't take a picture of itself right. in that way. Uh, so the consciousness is self-effulgent, self-illuminating, but it defies grasping by the, the body and it cannot be perceived. It cannot be heard by, it cannot be smelled by, tasted by, seen, nothing. It can't be felt by the heart. Uh, there's no such thing truly as a divine feeling. There's no such thing. Or even a divine thought. You can, you can look in that in the direction of the truth, the direction of the, the divinity, but it can, never, it can never be grasped. So in this way also, the self is defined um, as... Uh, most often, in the end, it's defined in negative terms. It is nirguno, nishkriyo, nityo, nirvikalpo, niranjanaha. All this near, near, near. It means not, 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 no gunas. It has no qualities. It has no action. It has no form. It has, in the end, it can only be defined negatively because it has no qualities to define it positively. So anyway, I'm just going on, but the, the, this is how the Vedanta uh, deals with this idea. And yet, after all that, it says, that which seems like nothing at the core of you is everything. Hmm. That's the self. The, and, and for those that, that are hearing about Vedanta for the first time and joining the room, it's a philosophy that, that predates Western philosophy by... Uh, thousands of years and and it's i want to get to the practicality uh, of this because it's actually quite practical um although it seems abstract at first but do you mind why so this this concept of your real self which is a concept that has been expounded upon and and um stated for over five thousand years and really makes its way into nearly every uh, philosophy and, and major religion we're aware of. But can you walk, walk us through how these three words string together? What is, what is like, who is Joseph? The, who, who really is Joseph? Or what is yeah. the real self? Um, and, and maybe do so with the lens that, most of us are coming to this conversation with a, a very seemingly practical understanding of, well, I'm James. I, you know, 
was born on April 17th, 1986 and 36 years old. And that's, that's who I am. Um, and that's obviously what uh, the vast majority of us consider as our identity. Could you describe your real self? Yeah. Just from that perspective, that known perspective that we all uh, seem to identify with this, like you said, it's not just the body, it's not just the mind, but it is this, uh, this very vague, and yet we are so stubbornly tied to this vague, ephemeral idea um, of who we are. Mm. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, first of all, uh, one good thing to consider is that you are James maybe one-third of the time, if you're sleeping well, hopefully only one-third of the time. Um, it, because the individuality that we refer to as I all the time, uh, at right now is James the waker who is in Santa Monica on a clubhouse call and all that, mm-hmm. uh, in the waking state. <clears throat> but, uh, maybe this afternoon, if you get a nap or maybe this tonight when you rest, uh, you will be you can actually be somebody else in a dream. You may be James again. That tends to happen, but you could be Chuck. <laughs> I don't know. Or Kent. <laughs> I'm just thinking of other monosyllabic names. You know what to say. I don't know. You could be anything, right? I'm too uh, narcissistic. It's all. It's pretty much always James, but also very <laughs> common that I have just realized I skipped too many classes in high school and now there's a big test that i'm not prepared for that's amazing so you can be anybody and you may be james but you're in a completely different world so from a vedantic point of view the waker is is and is a particular individuality is a particular personality that has a body mind intellect the dreamer is a completely separate personality. And I know this can be a little hard for people to understand, but when you think through it, it works. I'm at, uh, I'm at a resort right now in the Himalayas, and um, uh, there's a lady here who is, uh, you'll love this, bro. She's a PhD uh, neuroscientist and psychologist. And mm-hmm. she's here for three, three weeks with her daughter, and she's completely blown away by... Um, Vedanta, which is pretty amazing with all that background that she's like, I never knew what the mind was. Now I understand. <laughs> and she's a PhD. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Uh, and anyway, this whole dream waking thing, um, she's like, my God, that makes so much more sense than kind of the Western idea of, of what the dream is. So I'm just dropping that so that people have a little confidence if they need it. Uh, mm-hmm. And what we're saying that there are the states of consciousness, the waker is one entire individual is an entire separately entire separate personality from the dreamer who has got its own personality, its own body, its own mind, its own intellect. You can be a cripple, uh, a quadriplegic um, in in God forbid, in the waking state, you know, and you can be running marathons and climbing mountains as in the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and vice versa, you know, you can have a nightmare that you, something's happened to your body and you wake up and you're like, Oh my God, thank God. As so this stubborn, the this stubborn identity that we have in, in this admittedly such an interesting contrast of stubborn identity and this vague notion 
of us. You're saying every yeah. every night you depart from into a different identity. <clears throat> every night or, or, or even, um, you know, in the afternoon, uh, whatever mm-hmm. it is, or, or at work, if you had a heavy breakfast and you're at your desk and you nod off and go off somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you're, you're in a different, completely different personality mm-hmm. every day. It's not like once in a while. It happens every day. And we've just gotten used to it. And then for huge periods of time, you're in deep sleep where it is dreamless sleep. Your identity is I am nothing. <clears throat> That's all. But what do they all have in common? They all have I am the waker. I am the dreamer. I am the deep sleeper. That I am is common to all of them. That is the, the permanent ground of your being, as Aldous Huxley said. The ground of being is the self. And that is different from these, these, these personalities, which are constantly changing, like we're saying now, every day. And, and you know, the, um, the, the, the sort of fun, you know, exploration, mental puzzle to play around with is, what if we only slept once in our lives, you know? It would be such a massive thing. It would be, there would be this absolute, uh, there would be religions all based around the, the pre-sleep and the after-sleep, you know, that people would, mm-hmm. humanity would be divine, div- divided between those who had slept and those who hadn't. It would be this whole thing. There would be training mm-hmm. for generations about how to prepare for the sleep and to make the best use of the dream time and all that, you know? We'd, we'd make such a big deal out of it. And no, imagine trying to explain to somebody who had never slept or dreamt what it is. How do you explain that to somebody who's, who, if, if, it, if you only did it once, right? However that is. If your life was two days long, you know? It'd be, it'd be virtually impossible to, to explain that. It's such a profound thing. It would basically, people would have to experience it. And then afterwards, how would you view the first half of your life after you see it completely vanish and turn into something else for the first time ever? So this is a this is a, a, a useful pointer, uh, and not just useful. This is I don't know how we could understand the concept of self without these states of consciousness, which goes all the way back to the Mandukya Upanishad, um, one of the oldest books in Vedanta. Talks about only this. It only talks about the states of consciousness, how they're constantly changing, and but how there is a witness of all of them that is present for all of them. And that witness, that presence that's there in all the three states of consciousness and beyond them, that's that is our real self. Real in the sense that it it is it is always was there, it is always there in all these states, and it is there beyond all of these states as well and we're going to open this up for for questions if people have them they can drop them in the chat or uh, raise their hand here in a little bit the but i think that it's worth really underscoring this point that you're you're touching on of this because we have dreams so often it is like l my four-year-old she she had a dream last night, woke up at middle of the night. She had a dream and she's talking about how scary it was. And 
she's just starting to have dreams and these and she'll talk about them in the uh, during the day of like how often do, do i dream you know daddy do you dream how often you know how is it every night that i'm going to have dreams it's it's well it is in this this fascinating beginning where she just can't believe these projections will play in her mind and and so it's a and i think by the time we're 14 especially with the messaging i gave her of it's not real don't worry it's not real dreams aren't real like it's it's you go through a few few gears of that that messaging and and uh you disregard them as unreal and yet what is so that's the first thing to wor- that's worth underscoring is just we uh that we forget how wild it is when you get transported to a different world and and by the time you're in your 30s it's just yeah that's just a dream it's not even worth mentioning to anyone um and you forget five minutes after waking up after a, you know even a traumatic dream and yet um in the same way that you're saying there is this this ground of being between these different states um it seems also just as remarkable that there is this seemingly there is a certainty within these states that it is real like everyone has had that certainty i have a, almost every dream well, th- this is real. When you're, when I'm in it, it seems just as remarkable that there is this uh, strange level of hyper confidence that this is real. Oh, yeah, I think you're on mute. Sorry. Does, uh, yeah, yeah. Strange does indeed. That, <laughs> does that make very... sense, or, or is that is, yeah. am I formulating? That, it seems just as remarkable that we're so certain that it's real. No, absolutely. It's the, the wonder of, 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 uh, the illusion of it is so solid. It's, it's, um, it's, it's incredible. I mean, so even that the illusory nature of it all is described in, in these, these texts as wondrous, this, uh, the wondrous, the completeness of of the illusory nature of these states of consciousness, and you know, I mean, you know, we're talking about reality, and 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 that means that what is what is not reality is is illusory, or you know, in this in this tradition, it's the word is is maya. It it means that so much of it is is a a non understanding of reality of the real self allows us to project uh, out of ourselves, as it were, these limited personalities of the waker and the dreamer and the deep sleeper. And then those uh, personalities themselves reflect back the reality that's looking at them, which is our true self. And then we identify with it and get caught up in a, in something that's not there in the first place. And, uh, and uh, the moment you recognize it, you're out of it. Like the moment, <clears throat> the moment a waker recognizes the dream as a dream, that's one way of saying it, or the moment the waker, rec- even the slightest recognition of itself as the waker, the moment that happens, you're awake. 
you are by definition of a waker. You are a waker. You're out of that limitation. So anybody mm-hmm. who even touches the, has any contact whatsoever with the reality, capital R, they instantly become it. And mm-hmm. that, that is what we're talking about when we're talking about self-realization, is realizing you are that permanent, changeless aspect. So what is the topic at hand? Uh, what is it? Can you tell us more about the real self, this ground of being? And, and, and maybe I'll just make it uh, subjective here. Um, if the topic is your real self, who am I? Yeah. So um, we had, uh, it's a pointer. You know, you can't define it. It is beyond. Uh, it is beyond definition. It is only experienced when you experience. Uh, when you become in contact with your, when you are in contact with your true nature, free of the conditioning of body, mind, and intellect, you become that unconditioned consciousness. So you could take it that way. Right now, the consciousness is conditioned. Our consciousness is conditioned by body, mind, intellect, time, space, and causation. Waking, dream, and deep sleep it is limited. It has quality. It has form. It, ha- it is subject to growth and birth and decay and disease and death and all the metamorphic changes. It, it's, all that is going on. But the unconditioned consciousness, the pure consciousness, that is, that is the true self. It is, and because it's unconditioned, because it has no quality, because it has no form, it cannot be defined. It, you cannot um, reach it with the intellect. We certainly cannot reach it with the intellect. Even the one self-realized person that I've met in my life and that you've met... Um, <laughs> He says he cannot also, he also cannot say what that self is, but it can only be um, indicated, pointed at like uh, arcs in a math problem when you're trying to find, solve for X and you have to draw a bunch of arcs and you kind of get in a direction of it. Um, But uh, that's the best we can do is get our intellect in the direction of it and then slowly purify our personalities until we become it. And becoming it is the knowledge of the self that that he was talking about in his talk on last Sunday and that the whole Vedanta is about is how to <clears throat> how to get rid of the conditioning desires that veil the self um, slowly mm-hmm. through self-effort, through self-control, through self-purification, through the practices of karma, bhakti, and jnana yoga. You you slowly uh, purify the personality of conditioning until you are pure consciousness, pure awareness. Right now, our awareness is polluted by objects and beings and, and whatnot. You, we are aware of all the time. We're never able to just stay with the pure awareness. Our minds go out and condition it, limit it, uh, restrict it in various ways. So, uh, conscious of, aware of, cut the of, and you have the thing. 
so tying a few of these together and uh especially with the with what you just said of it it you can't define it um as i think a, what is the the supreme um defined as the supreme confined and uh so it i see your point of saying it can't be defined um but to tie a few of these things together it's most often talked about in negation not this it is not the body it is not uh the mind it is not the intellect it's not this view of the ocean in front of you reality is not this not this neti neti um and and that negation at least can be begun it doesn't need to be experienced in fact does it is this am i getting it right that that negation which is obviously served well by touched on uh, karma bhakti and jnana yoga the uh, sanskrit words for action devotion knowledge those are extremely conducive for the the negation that could start today that can start right now that could start this this morning um, of what it is not what reality is is not the ex- to get to your real self seems as as you you said it seems that's that's an experience that is um almost uh binary is that right and yet the negation can be incremental and can begin the second you uh you hear of these concepts Right. Yes. So um, if it was black and white, then we'd be in trouble and it wouldn't be really worth it. And it'd probably be unethical, in fact, to even talk about it publicly um, because it does take uh, extreme talent plus extreme effort to actually get to that state. It's like it's like if tennis was only valuable to people who could, you know, be Roger Federer or, mm. or Djokovic. You know, it's not the truth, right? Like a lot of people, tennis is great for them, for their backyard, for their club, for like hanging out their kids. Like, you know, it's valuable even if you don't become Roger Federer Mm -hmm. or you and, and, and you're not you don't have the talent. Right. And even the people that want to become Roger Federer or Djokovic, man, there's only a handful of people that have that talent anyway. And Mm -hmm. so spiritually, it's the same thing. It's like, first of all, you've got to have crazy talent to start with to even think of actually realizing the self and you have to be able to put in 25 hours of a day of of effort i mean in the sense like you just can't afford to do anything else right Mm -hmm. so so self-realization is is if it was only black and white if it was like you're either self-realized or you're or you're not then it really wouldn't be ethical to even tell people about the possibility so you're right what is what is great is and and true is that even having the ideal of self-realization uh sets you free instantly immediately sets you free um how so because it it gives you a a sense that there is a a a direction in life there is something to work towards and any master worth the name is really only interested in you having uh being on the right direction 
right? They, a, a true master, like when we go meet Swami and he's guiding us and, and all that and our various things, he knows that very few people sitting in front of him are going to get anywhere near self-realization. But he tells us that it's satisfying for him to know that, uh, as it were, I mean, quote unquote, that, 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 that this person is now in the right direction, that the seed has been planted. Because it may not be this life, but if you, if you make a 1% chain, uh, change of direction in a spaceship and you, you let it fly for a thousand years, it'll be in a completely different part of the universe than it would have been had you not. So as you begin to identify with the self, it get, it starts to give your it starts to streamline your life. It starts to give your life a north star to orient towards. And that itself is a major major thing. Just to even have a sense that there's some direction that we're ultimately going. A lot of people's despair is that complete lack of direction that sense that like what is it all for it doesn't go anywhere you know and mm -hmm. uh just to, i see it all the time here at this hotel where i'm teaching at sometimes i see people only you know one time or i see them two three times and then they check out um and uh they many of them come up and say you know uh this has been amazing it's so wonderful to hear that there's there's some underlying meaning to this experience of life that's huge. And, and if you can identify with the idea of the self, even two, three percent, it gives you that little bit of elbow room between yourself and whatever's happening to the waker and the dreamer and the deep sleeper. You get that little bit of, of elbow room, that little bit of relief from all of the drama and changes and stuff that's happening in all of our lives all the time. And you're a little bit less affected and life becomes in the mind. And uh, well, for that reason, it, it's, it's not binary. Yeah. And that, that gets us to this last uh, topic. The last part of this topic I want to cover with you is what is the practicality of discussing such things as your real self? Um, in one level, it seems like what is the point of discussing anything else? And, yeah. and from another level, I could hear a listener uh, saying in their head of like, okay, what, how does this, what is the practicality of this on this Friday morning at you know, 8 a.m.? Yeah. It gives you objectivity. Um, so it, it's like, what's the practicality of um, a person going into orbit and, and, and being on the space station? Like, okay, they're doing their little... I'm talking about for them. They're doing their experiments and they're they're inventing styrofoam and whatever else happens on this and on the space station. <laughs> I, I guess I mean uh, not styrofoam. Uh, what's the, the the whatever those things you use like? Uh, come on, the things you you invent that NASA invented for like closing shoes. I can't even believe I'm forgetting that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Oh, I don't know. Uh, um, all this stuff yes. is invented on the space station. Yeah, you, get, yeah, you but, have to go to the space station to do certain experiments, right? Yeah, yeah, you do. But And that's all good and cool and whatever. But on a personal level, they all talk about this overwatch effect that happens to them. And that ability to see the, the, their situation on the Earth from, from a higher perspective. 
Um, and, you know, even to be able to think back, obviously they can't live on this uh, Velcro. That's what I was thinking of. Mm. They invented Velcro in space <laughs> or for space. Um, so, so that's all cool benefits of, of space travel. But um, personally for them, they, have, they all talk about this great sense of objectivity that they gain from that experience. And it's not that they're even there all the time, but they can on it, they can within themselves pause and remember what's their real position in the universe because they have actually seen it. You know, it's one thing to like watch a documentary, it's another thing to actually see the thin blue line of atmosphere against this infinite vacuum of space and all of that to kind of put things in perspective, you know. Mm-hmm. So this is the idea. We, we contemplate the self. We reflect upon the self. We try to uh, think from the point of view of the self, as it were, every day uh, to gain a little bit of elbow room upon our uh, conditioned existence, which otherwise will completely take over our mind, um, which is totally irrational um, for that to happen. Uh, and, and it gives us that little bit of space, that little bit of breathing room. What does that space look like? Like walk me through a specific example. I could imagine some, but I would love to, to, uh, ask directly. What is an example of that objectivity that, that comes from even just the first time you hear this and you entertain it, or you say that's kind of insane, but you start to entertain this idea that you are not this identity uh, we again i say this identity as if it's concrete and none of us have a concrete idea uh of of what you know of our identity but at least notionally we think it's concrete so yeah walk me through an example where you detach from that identity and and how that practically works its way into your life okay so really practically uh someone may say I am so angry right now. Hmm. That's one way of describing that. Or I am so jealous right now. Or I am so excited right now. Or I am ecstatic right now. Totally Mm -hmm. involved. Totally one with the emotional mind. Versus the mind is angry right now. The mind is jealous right now. The mind is ecstatic right now. Massive difference, huge mm. difference. And so from the point of view of the, the space station within, which is the, the thought of the self, you can the intellect can identify with the thought of the true self and see the emotions of the mind at, like an astronaut looking down on its hometown as it goes under him. So the anger becomes an object, no longer me. The subject retreats towards the real self, uh, less affected by the emotions. Or the body. Wow, the body is in real pain right now. Wow, the body is feeling quite healthy right now. Not, I am healthy, I am, or even worse, my God. People think, you know, I am rich. You're not rich. The bank, the, your, your bank account has a lot of money in it. That has nothing to do with you. <laughs> you understand? So the bank the bank account is rich. And and what's amazing is the intellect can even be objective to itself. 
the intellect can even say the intellect you you can talk about the intellect with the intellect and say the intellect is dull today the intellect is bright and sharp at the moment you know i was i was listening to some guys uh, jack dorsey and what's his name uh somebody that guy that russian guy who the podcast uh, lex dude. friedman yeah lex <laughs> lex and and jack dorsey I, I was looking at some old youtube them talking about fasting for like four minutes dude we're on the same we're on the same youtube algorithm because i just watched that like three or four days ago too yeah (laughs) the one from like 2020 right (laughs) right yeah and talking about like yeah wim hoff eats one meal a day totally dude that's crazy Uh wow we're youtube we're youtube YouTube brothers Mm -hmm. um add it to our brother list so um Mm -hmm. yeah uh so you know those guys are talking about like they're objectively speaking about the mind is the intellect is more clear when I don't eat breakfast or whatever they were saying, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, that is way different than I am angry. I am excited. I am clear. I am dull. I am rich. I am poor. You become less affected by these highly changeable aspects of your personality. Constantly, constantly changing because that's the nature of them. So you are liberated from them. You stand apart from them. And, and when you stand apart from them, uh, you, you experience a freedom. The word ecstasy, in fact, is taken from two words, ekstasis, which means to stand apart, to stand outside, to stand above. And the very being apart from it is liberation. It's liberation both relatively and absolutely. Another word for self-realization is kaivalya, which, which means what, like the kaivalya Upanishad, which we study in the e-learning course. Kaivalya means uh, separation. It means segregation, step, you know, separating one thing from the other. So it gives us that buffer between um, ourselves and the the life itself that's going on to our waker to our dreamer to our deep sleeper and that that is tremendously practical and valuable and can quite literally happen um you know almost instantly with from the moment you start studying vedanta yeah one of my favorite uh, mentors the best probably the best vc in the last decade jeff jordan I think I mentioned this uh, to you before. He, he uh, he's on the board of Airbnb and and Instacart and Pinterest and a phenomenal investor and and builder. And he said his superpower. He said my superpower. I learned somewhere along my career. My superpower is that I could get over anything in twenty four hours. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, whoa, that's damn. That's a really interesting never thought about uh, how quickly you can get over something as a, as a superpower. And, and yet once he said that it was his earworm where I couldn't shake of, man, how long does it take me to get over things? I realized, Oh, I can get over pretty much anything about 72 hours. Um, Mm -hmm. Not, not that I was special anyway. I I think most people probably 72 hours, someone says something Mm -hmm. to you and, uh, and it ruffles your feathers, and, and yet 72 hours, you, you realize, oh, I'm not thinking about that thing anymore. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so then over time, once I realized it was 72 hours, it was like this touchstone in my life of like, oh, this really bothers me. Oh, this, uh, 
this uh, thing going wrong in my startup or my business or in uh, personal life, knowing that, okay, 72 hours, it won't bother me. That's kind of wild to, to know and keep your back pocket. And then once I knew it was 72 hours, then it was like, oh, might as well be 48 or even 24 hours. And, and then I realized once it got to about 24 hours, because it, you know, 72 might as well, once you know, you're going to be over it, once you almost, you know, once you have the solution and something is no longer a problem, um, you know, definitionally. And so then I was like, yeah, I think maybe I've gotten it down to about 24 hours. And, and then it becomes this thing to this uh, objectivity. It's where you, if you know, it's, you're going to be over in 24 hours. Um, then it loses its import to you. Uh, I don't know. It's cut down by ninety five percent. And mm-hmm. one of the things that that happens mm-hmm. with this subjectivity, um, something that happened on earlier this week. I remember. I remember scrolling through uh, Instagram and being caught up in this, or at least I could see my mind was caught up in this net of jealousy and in this net of like this doesn't compute this person shouldn't have all of this this doesn't make sense they don't work hard that and it's a person that i know and they don't work hard that but it is real there the success is real and and it was like this this emotional knot that i was like wow this is so funny this is why i love uh deleting instagram and just not not cruising it and um, and, and I deleted it, but I also just went, I was like, I think I need to just get out of the house and go on a run. And I was going on a run and I was just like, almost watching it as if it was a movie where I was like, this is so, so wild that I am getting a part of me is getting caught up in this and kind of with a smile, knowing this, I'm not going to think about this in 30 minutes, much less 24 hours, but it did start mm. with like. Yeah, in 24 hours, I, this this just isn't a healthy thing to put my mind on. And then realizing, yeah, I'm probably not going to think about this in 30 minutes. But even for this time being, I kind of want to watch this. Like watching, yeah. I don't know, a horror movie. Like watching something <laughs> unpleasant on purpose. I kind of want to watch this just to see how my mind works through it. And it was yeah. this, very, to your point, is this very strange overwatch effect um, that I would have never been able to to uh, tap into us and lack of a better term to just watch, to almost want to watch my mind work through this emotional knot. And, and now as I verbalize it, it is so wild just to realize there are other vantage points to exactly what you're saying beyond I am jealous or even more jealousy, usually like anger or resentment. Um, I am resentful that this is happening. Instead, it's is very wild. That was one of the first times where is that objective to where, like a usually that objectivity is, or at least that directional objectivity is used to get a to almost avoid a feeling. But instead, it was there to the point where I was like, no, I kind of want to watch this happen. Yeah. It becomes entertainment. The thing that used to torture you now becomes uh, entertaining. Mm. Is there anything else that we should say? And we haven't had a question yet, so that's why I'm, I'm going on and 
on, I know we're, we're bumping up on time, but uh, is there anything else that should be said on your real self? Maybe the Mahavakya's, the, the four great statements within Vedanta. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, any, uh, anything else? Yeah. Well, I think we're good, but you know the the four aphorisms um, which are described in in Swami's book Vedanta Treatise. I think one of them, the one that's really always just lit me up personally, is is uh, Pragnanam Brahma, which is uh, from the Aitreya uh, uh, Upanishad from the Rig Veda, which is like the oldest of the Vedas. Anyway, just really old Vedanta. Um, <laughs> It says that that Brahman, the reality, the truth is consciousness, and um, I I personally kind of take that thought for granted now. But I remember when I was eighteen years old or seventeen years old, working in a coffee shop in Washington D.C., and uh, my manager gave me a book on Zen Buddhism, and it said that uh, reality is an experience. And it's, it's kind of this, this that just completely lit me up. Like I thought reality is a formula before that. It's like something that is measurable or whatever. I didn't, I never thought about it as a subjective experience. And, um, you know, Vedanta said that, you know, here in the Rig Veda, you know, 10,000 years before whatever I read. And that, that is that. It is Pragnanam Brahma, the reality, the Brahman, the truth, the ultimate reality is consciousness. It is of the nature of consciousness. It is uh, something that you experience subjectively as your most uh, intimate self. And um, yeah, I think that's that's a good way to, to wrap it up with uh, Pragnanam Brahma. And uh, the, the real self is consciousness and... Uh, the whole way to know it is is to become it. it is uh, yeah, since we don't have any questions, and it's a great way to to uh, wrap it up. And it seems so interesting that we think our consciousness is this utility to find the truth, to find some external reality, and yet uh, that aphorism that statement that is yeah ten thousand years old is saying a truth is conscious consciousness is truth that is amazing amazing point right there amazing point master james that was that was awesome correct learning we we, we use that we use that consciousness for everything other than knowing itself Well, learned it from uh, from you and from Swami and um, and from all the, like Swami said, the galaxy of uh, sages that have, yeah. that have imparted the wisdom um, in nearly every tradition. It's just sitting there, just like that phrase, or just like <laughs> couldn't be. I mean that that uh, concept. It uh, even the idea that it is right in front of us is a complete mistaken interpretation so i won't even i won't even use that uh turn of phrase of sitting right in front of us as an expression (laughs) because that single phrase 
uh, highlights um, the misinterpretation. But uh, Joseph, thank you as always. And for everybody right listening, uh, subscribe to the the our, our Clubhouse in the Clubhouse app. And then also, uh, if you want to see any of our previous conversations, the replays are on the Clubhouse app, Clubhouse app uh, for our Clubhouse conversations. And then our podcast episodes uh, are uh, at yfyi.co and in every podcast player out there uh, under yoga for your intellect. And until next week, um, thank you all for tuning in. All right, brother. Signing off from here in the Himalayas. And uh, we'll see you next week, brother. See you next week. I'm going to go for a surf here in L.A. There Bye-bye. you go. Enjoy. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, Jesse. Thanks, everybody. Later. Later, man.